My name is Tony. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you and with us together this morning. And just something a little different. So as I was preparing during the week, I came to the conclusion, and you can you can ask me a little bit more why uh, later if you want to, or you might disagree, but uh, I'm generally a fan of the ESV, the English Standard Version that we use most of the time. But with the passage that we're looking at today, I actually feel like the NIV's done a better job. So we're not, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. You might have an NIV already. It's the NIV 1984 version, by the way, which you can't get anymore where you can. But it's difficult to track down. I tracked it down. And that's what we're going to be using this morning as we read God's Word and uh, unpack it together. So here we go. Philippians 3, 7 to 17. Our focus is going to be 10 to 16. Sorry, 7 to 16. Our focus is going to be 10 to 16, but we need to read the whole section for uh, context. Philippians 3 and verse 7. Paul's writing and he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power... Ooh, have I missed a bit? I've missed a bit. Sorry about that. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that God will make clear to you also. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have enjoyed already of gathering together, even on a cold, wet day like today. Thank you that we have this place where we can be in shelter, gathering to uh, sing the, your praises to give you glory that you deserve, to say together you are worthy of all things and to hear you speak to us from your word. Uh, Please, by your spirit, be our teacher and bring your word home to us today. As we sit under it, may we be shaped by it, encouraged through it, comforted from it and challenged. We ask all this that we might become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Well, next Friday, the 23rd of July, the same day as men's camp, by the way, which I'm not sure if there's any correlation between the Olympics in Tokyo and men's camp, but that remains to be seen. Uh, the Olympics will start a little late. It was meant to be 2020. Um, they're going to start in 2021, of course, uh, in Tokyo. And as we sit here this morning, all the athletes are most likely already there in their villages, uh, having their daily COVID tests and all the rest of it that they're going to have to be doing. Uh, all their training and hard work is finished. And all that awaits for them now is their particular event or events, and most importantly, completing it. See, I wonder as they sit there right at this minute, what is at the forefront of their minds? It's probably not all the training that they've done, although they're probably thinking, yeah, chick, I, have, I did do it all. What are they particularly focused on, though? Not just participating in the event that they are uh, gifted in and trained for in the particular sport. No, what they want at the end of the day is to reach the finish line. And preferably to stand on the dais, diocesis, diocesis, whatever you call it, having won the prize. Bronze will do, but God, gold would be even better. You see, why are they thinking that? Uh, because starting is not what really matters at the end of the day. It's important to have a good start. Don't hear me wrong. You don't want a false start, you want a good start. But Finishing is what matters. Crossing the line, so to speak, is what matters. Finishing well is even better. Starting is good. Finishing well can be glorious. As we continue our series in Philippians called To Live is Christ, that's going to be the focus of our message today. Finishing well. Finishing well. That's the picture that Paul gives us of the true follower of Jesus. Have a look at verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Finishing well. Yes, you need a good start. But finishing well is what matters most. And as we sit here this morning, I think all of us would know probably a number of people who seemed to start in the Christian life, who seemed to get going, but today they are nowhere to be found among God's people. Uh, my generation in particular seemed to have this a lot. Those who are you know, middle-aged, Somewhere between 50 and 65, 45 and 65. It seemed to be a particular aspect of our generation. Whether that was poor discipleship, I don't know. Whether the gospel that we, we were being taught was somehow lacking and had no power, I don't know. Some of you have spoken to me about this even. People that you're concerned about who are nowhere with Jesus now. Might say they still are. Might say they still believe even. Might even say they still love Jesus. But their lives actually declare the opposite. Not running the race at all anymore. Let alone looking like getting to the finish line. 
Not engaged at all anymore in what matters to Jesus, his priorities, his kingdom, his purposes, his people, his mission. But rather just living however our culture lives. And friends, I, wanna, I want us to hear this this morning as a bit of a warning because this particular aspect is not unique to my generation. Every generation has the potential to start okay, but then to somehow not finish well. No generation is immune to this, to starting and then losing our way, to starting and veering off track and failing to cross the finish line. So the question this morning that we're asking, and I think that Paul is answering so clearly and so helpfully for us, is this. How do you finish well? How do we guard against veering off track? How can we, by God's grace, win the prize that he has for us? How can we run well the race that is set before us and finish well together with others on, as Paul describes it, the day of Jesus Christ, that final glorious day, the finish line day? Paul's got some concerns about the Philippians and he's seeking to pastor them. They've been following Jesus for 10 plus years at this point in time. They've been running well. And yet there are some things popping up that could cause them to veer off course, that could see them losing their focus. So what does he say to them? How does he spur them on? How does he encourage them to keep focused and keep going? Well, he does it by sharing his own personal testimony of how he does it, how he runs the race and what it looks like. He shares with them how he goes about it. He shares with them what we might call apostolic Christian living, which is just a fancy word for how the apostles lived the Christian life and set an example for us to follow. And it involves a couple of key things that I think we see from this passage. And the first one is this, knowing Christ experientially and bringing glory to him. Have a look at verse 10 and 11. I think I've got it up here for you. Yes, that's the one I lost earlier, but I've got it back. There it is. What does he say? He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul, note, has just been speaking, if you like, about how he started the race. We saw that last week, how he became a follower of Jesus and how that changed everything for him. As Justin helped to see so help so wonderfully last week, he he thought Paul thought he could be right with God by doing good. He thought he could be confident before God by his own efforts, especially as it related to the Jewish law. But then if you know the story, he met the risen Jesus on the road to, to, the, to Damascus and things changed. In an instant, the confidence that he had evaporated in the presence of Jesus, risen and glorious, the Holy One. It evaporated. And in that moment, he was exposed as he says. Remember, he thought he was going okay. He was exposed as he says as a blasphemer, as a murderer, and as an insolent or disrespectful man. 
in the presence of Jesus, he suddenly saw himself with crystal clarity. And at that moment, he realised he was completely dependent on the mercy of Jesus to save him. A good start, friends, is really important in this race. And that's exactly what he received from Jesus, wasn't it? Though he deserved his just and righteous judgment, no doubt. What did he receive from Jesus? Mercy. Jesus saved him. He rescued him. He forgave him. His blasphemy, his murderous intent and his insolence. He forgave him. Not only that, but as Paul alludes to in Philippians, he clothed him with his perfect righteousness. He gave Paul his perfect record because that's the only thing that will hold up in the presence of a holy God. And not only that, he called Paul into his service, into his purposes and into his kingdom and commissioned him to serve him. And so Paul at this point came to see, as he says, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. As his Lord, Jesus Christ, his Saviour and Lord. This is how he started the race, so to speak. A good start is really important. So let me ask you, what kind of start in the Christian life have you had? Was it a good one? Because there are some that are not so good. Paul's was, his, was gloriously Jesus-centred, wasn't it? No doubt about it. But sometimes our starts might be actually more man-centred. Less about him and his worth and more about me and what I want. Some starts can be so man-centred that I, that I would say they're probably not starts at all. They just turn the good news of Jesus into a new way of us getting whatever we desire. A better life. More peace. More money even sometimes. Paul came to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus as Lord. And notice it's not just where it started. It's how it continues. He says in verse 10, I want to Know Christ. Hang on, hang on a minute. He's, hasn't he been a Christian for a while? Just think about it. Where is he? Actually, he's in prison. He's not going to be around on this planet much longer. So he's been a Christian for quite a while. And yet, notice what he's saying. I want to know Christ. Even at that stage, he's saying, I want to know him more. And I want to know him in the details of my life. I want to know him not just at the start, but I want to know him on the journey until I reach the destination. I want to know him. See what I'm saying? It's important to know him experientially. This is not just knowing about him. This is just not me increasing my head knowledge of the Bible so that I can quote this verse or that verse or know this passage or know this passage. The Bible, the Word of God is meant to bring us to the person of Jesus so that we might know him and have relationship with him. 
He says, I want to know him and what? The power of his resurrection. What? He's saying that even at this late stage of his life. I want to know the power of the risen Christ working in my life in those details of day-to-day existence. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings as well. You could say verse 10 and 11 is a bit of a summary of the Christian life. Until and so somehow I attain to the resurrection from the dead. So you've got start to finish just in those couple of verses, haven't you? Knowing Christ, continuing to know Christ, the power of his resurrection as I live daily in this life for him, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings as I own him in the public square and, pot- and potentially cop flack because of him and hatred and harm, as one of the songs that we sing says, because of him. And so I share in similar sufferings to him at that point, but not in my own strength, empowered by the power of the resurrection so that I might one day reach the finish line and finish well at the resurrection of the dead. That great day when the graves will give up the dead. He wants to know Christ experientially. Power of his resurrection. New life supernaturally through him. Fellowship of sharing in his sufferings experiencing persecution perhaps for Jesus and becoming like him, giving up his life for the glory of Jesus. This is the Christian life according to Philippians, according to the word of God. It's glorious. It's, you know, I, don't know, I used to think it was boring before I became a Christian. Just oh, yeah, go to church, wear big, thick, black frame glasses and... That's what you do, right? But I didn't know Jesus then. Then I got converted. He had mercy on me. I got rescued and then I went, "Ah, it's not boring and I've been missing out all this time. Now, we all have ebbs and flows, don't we? Right? And we lose our focus and get distracted and so on, but... Christian life is glorious. It's knowing Jesus experientially day by day. The risen Lord, the one who is worthy. The one who's going to open the very doors to eternity. It's transforming. We're sustained and renewed by Jesus. It's not grit your teeth, white knuckling, trying to live a particular way. It's actually being Changed by the powerful, risen Jesus at work in your life. That's costly. If that's happening in your life and you start to shine as lights in a twisted and depraved generation, that particular twisted and depraved generation, which you, by the way, were once a part of, might not necessarily warm to how you are now. might actually reject you. Worse than that, might actually be hostile towards you. Jesus says, the world hates you, it hated me first. 
to turn on. Looking to the day of Jesus, hopeful of full resurrection and death defeated. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in such a way to finish well. Experiencing, knowing him experientially and so bringing glory to him. Now Justin mentioned it last week and I said to him he should have had a jar with him when he talked about honey. And I was going to have a jar with me this morning when I talked about honey. But I don't have a jar with me. So you're just just going to have to imagine I've got a jar of honey in my hand, okay? Because I can sit here all day and stand here all day and tell you, if you've never tasted honey, I can tell you what honey is like. I can tell you it's sweet. And you might think, oh, sugar, mm, donuts, um, other things that I've tasted that are sweet, maybe it's like that. I can tell you it's sticky. You might think of glue. And then I, I, can, I can describe the ingredients on the back of the jar and the things that are in it and the process that made it. I can tell you all about it. I can, I can say how good it is, but until you yourself open the lid, put it on a knife and put it on some toast and taste it, it'll be somewhat foreign to you. Justin mentioned last week, Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, it's not just knowing him intellectually. It is that. It's not less than that. But it's knowing him experientially as the truth about him is brought home to you by the Spirit of God. Paul prays for the Ephesians that they might know the power which is at work in them. And he says that power is the same power which God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the Christian life, living that out. Do you, do you know Christ this morning in that way? Not do you know about him, do you know him? See, that's the great kind of fear for someone like me who's a shepherd and a pastor is that there are people who come and think everything's fine but actually don't know him yet. How tragic to be in church perhaps all your life and not know the one who's at the centre of it. Have you started the race, so to speak? If you haven't started, maybe that's the place to begin, to start. Like Paul, realising that everything you trusted in is worthless in light of the person of Jesus and then seeing what he's done for you on the cross and going, that's it, that's it. And coming to him in repentance and faith. I want to ask you if you've started the race, what kind of start did you have? Did it involve seeing the work of Jesus for you in such a way that you saw his worth to you? If that didn't happen, if the surpassing worth of Jesus has not landed for you, you will struggle to live for him. You will. Now, it doesn't, it's not there all the time and we have ebbs and flows, but it needs to land. It needs to land. What do you place ultimate worth on? 
because there's a mathematical equation here, is what you long for, you will live for. What you've put most worth on is what you will put most time and energy and passion into. Is it Jesus? Have you seen him? No, you might say, well, yeah, it's all right. Paul saw him, right? Paul saw him face to face on the Damascus Road. Yeah, of course he's got the surpassing, surpassing worth of Jesus kind of clear for him. Yes, but God has given us his word and his spirit and we can see him on the Damascus Road as we read the story of Paul, not to mention the rest of it. How are you going living for him? As you hear this morning, how are you going at running the race, so to speak, knowing him experientially, not just intellectually? Are you struggling in your Christian walk at the moment? Have you even got questions whether you're going to make the finish line yourself? The first thing you need to get to that finish line and finish well is to know Christ experientially. Bringing glory to him. The second thing we need and we see here is that will mean growing in Christ until we stand before him. Growing in Christ until we stand before him. Have a look at verse 12 and following. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't cons- do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, isn't that encouraging? Don't you find those words encouraging? What's he saying? Not that I've already obtained all this. Or I've already been made perfect. He's saying I'm not there yet. He's been at it for a while. He's close to the end of his life. But even, I don't know how old he is at this point, but he's, you know, older than me. Right? I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not fully resurrected yet. That's still up ahead. Which means, and this is so encouraging for us, like us, by the powerful grace of God, he is a work. In progress. He's a work in progress. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect. You see the beauty of growing in Christ here? It's a journey. It's a work in progress. He hasn't obtained it yet. He hasn't already been made perfect. So what does he do? Throw in the towel, give up? No. He tells you what he does. He presses on. He presses on to take hold of that for which Jesus has taken hold of him. Now this is why I chose the NIV. Because there's a couple of things here that are really important for us in those two verses. He says, I've not already obtained all this or have already become perfect. No. Already been made perfect is what it says. And the original is passive. In other words, it's not Paul who's making him perfect. 
It's God who's making him perfect, which is what happens in the next verse. I press on to take hold of that for which what? Christ has taken hold of me. So you've got Jesus making him perfect, Jesus taking hold of him, and then in verse 14 you've got the upward call of God or the call towards heaven in Christ. So God's calling him, Jesus has taken hold of him, and he's at work in him making him perfect. And in all that, Paul is pressing on, straining forward, growing, pursuing, and so on. So you've got both God at work, And you've got Paul striving and straining and pursuing and seeking and growing in Christ. Paul's on a journey being made perfect by Jesus. Does it mean he doesn't do anything? No, it doesn't. He presses on to take hold of that which is already his. So the point is this. We are actively involved in growing steadily in Christ until he returns, until we stand before him. But God is actively involved growing us in Christ until we stand before him. And those two things don't contradict each other, do they? Paul is pressing on. He's forgetting what is behind all he once held dear, all he once trusted in and relied upon and thought was enough and sufficient for him to be right with God, he's forgetting what is behind and it says he's straining towards what is ahead. And that that word straining there is the athletic picture of the athlete straining towards the finish line, arms back, neck out, focused to get to that line. He's straining Forward. He's pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. And in the process, Jesus is making him perfect. Jesus is growing him. Jesus has taken hold of him in the gospel and Jesus will complete what he has begun. God has called Paul heavenward in and through the person and work of Jesus and God has called Paul in Jesus to win the prize and to finish well. So he presses on. He knows he's a work in progress. He's not, he's not like, you know, pious and always saying the perfect thing and not acknowledging any struggles or sins that he might be fighting with or battling. He's honest I haven't already obtained it. I'm not already there yet. But he knows he's a work in progress. He knows God's at work. So he will not be complacent. Rather, he'll be diligent. His life won't be directionless. It will have a clear direction about it, though perfection is always future. His goal for his life is in sync with Jesus' goal for his life. And for him to live is to live in daily response to God's call on him. And the same is true of us as followers of Jesus. As we run this race together with others. As we strain towards the finish line. We press on. We strain ahead. We press on. But God is at work in us as we grow in Christ all the way until we stand before him.
Do you remember chapter 1 and verse 6 of Philippians? Paul's writing to them, opening kind of part of the letter. They've been following Jesus for 10 years at this point, and he says with incredible confidence, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's what he says about them. So yes, he's warning them. Yes, he's pastoring them. Yes, he's kind of making sure they stay on track. But he's confident of the work of God in their life as well. Also, chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13, perhaps you remember this. He writes, Therefore, all, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my, as in my absence but much more in my presence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with great awe, knowing who it was who came from heaven and humbled himself and went to the cross to rescue you and who has now been exalted and given the name above every name. That's the salvation that we're talking about here. Work it out in your life with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe, not flippantly, not complacently, but focused and diligent on that race, looking to finish well. Why? For it is God, next verse says, who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And just note that word, pleasure again. Is God trying to make it hard for you to get to the finish line? No. He's given us everything we need to get there. He's at work in us according to his good pleasure so that we might get there. There's plenty of other things that distract us and make it hard for us to get there, but nevertheless, we have everything we need. So, firstly, knowing Christ experientially, deeply, powerfully, not just intellectually, that we might bring glory for him, to him in our lives. And secondly, growing in Christ until we stand before him. Now, some of you I know have uh, had the experience of building a house. Uh, we have twice. And strangely enough, I'd be happy to do it again, you know. Um, some people would say I'm nuts. That could be true, um, but I would do it again. One of the things you, there's lots of things you do when you build a house, but one of the things you do fairly regularly is this: you visit the site. You visit the site. Depends how much of a control freak you are as to the frequency of how often you visit the site, but nevertheless, you visit the site. Why? Well, you get up there after work, before the sun goes down, to see if anything else has happened, right? See if any, any progress has taken place. I mean, you know it's not finished yet. That's still a fair way off. But you do know it's a work in progress, or at least it's supposed to be a work in progress. So you visit, visit the site every day. But because you know it's a work in progress, you have what? Realistic expectations. You have realistic expectations. You don't expect to arrive and suddenly there's the house finished. That would be unrealistic. It's a work in progress. But, on the other hand, you do want to see things progressing so that one day it will be complete. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. Steady progress to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
We grow in Christ until we stand before him with realistic expectations, but with clear expectations nonetheless. We expect to be growing. We don't expect to be complete. Isn't that liberating? We can be honest. Man, I didn't do so well this week. I really struggled this week to trust Jesus in this area. Something happened in my life and it threw me into a complete spin this week. And it took me four days to get my head around it and get my focus back on trusting Jesus. Question, is that progress? You bet it is. You bet it is. Is the goal of your life the same as Jesus' goal for your life? That is a steady work in progress until you attain to the resurrection of the dead. Is your goal like harder than that? Do you set your expectations higher than that? If you do, what chance have you got of reaching them? They would be unrealistic expectations. Or are they less than that? Maybe you've put up the flag. You've gone, I don't know, I've failed so many times. Living for Jesus is just too hard. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Or you're not even aware that there should be some expectations about growing. For some of us, as we've already said, maybe you've actually never started the race at all. Is it possible that the most important thing for you today is to start the race? To see that everything you might be trusting in to be right with God is worthless before him. And that only the work of Christ on the cross for us will do. Maybe for the first time, to see the worth of Christ. Is it possible that you've taken your eyes off the goal? Is it possible that you're disobeying the call of God in Christ Jesus heavenward? You're a Christian, but you're doing what you want to do whenever you want to do it. And you need to repent. God is calling you to repent today. God is calling you to a much greater, much glorious life. Possible perhaps sometimes that our goals become the same as the world's goals. And we need to repent. We need to see again with, with fresh amazement what God's goal for us is. This passage is, does a couple of things for us. It's, it's an encouragement to the discouraged. Maybe you're here and you're trying to press towards the goal. You're trying so hard to finish well. You're straining forward to what lies ahead, but all you feel like you're seeing is a real lack of progress. It's just become hard work with what seems to be little change or progress firstly can I say a couple of things to you if that's where you're at today 
Know you are a work in progress. Even in the ups and downs. And also know that the eyes of others are better at seeing that than yours. That's one of the reasons why we need fellowship. That's one of the reasons why we need someone to come alongside us and say, hey, I know it's been tough for you for the last six months, but you hanging on to Jesus, even if it only seems like a thread sometimes, is just amazing. You might not see that, but someone else might spot it. If you spot that in someone else, can I encourage you to go and tell them? Because they might not be seeing it and they might be significantly discouraged. That's ministry of the body to the body. Secondly, the goal of knowing Christ is not progress. That's not the goal. Progress comes from knowing him. The goal is knowing him. Jesus has taken hold of you through the gospel So forget what is behind, however bad it is and was, and respond afresh to his call on your life. So how do you finish well? How do you guard against veering off track? How can you run the race? Knowing Christ experientially, critical. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Ask him to bring that home to you if it's not already. and growing in Christ until we stand before him with realistic expectations, but clear, Holy Spirit-inspired, gospel-powered expectations nonetheless. Can we pray? Let's do that. Father, thank you so much that you are a good Father. Lord, who wants to urge and encourage your children by your word and by your powerful spirit. Thank you that you have given us everything we need to grow, everything we need to run the race that you've set before us. Thank you that you are at work in us, spurring us on, cheering us on, bringing us new life and new strength and new power to bring glory to you and to stay focused on the finish line. Father, help us not to have unrealistic expectations. Help us not to try and white-knuckle living for you. But help us to know you deeply and powerfully and personally. And out of that, Lord, live more clearly for you. Father, may there be steady progress in our lives that brings you glory that's good for us. Maybe this morning we've been distracted for however long, for whatever reason. Please turn our hearts and our minds to you afresh. Help us to repent, Lord, and to believe afresh in the surpassing worth of Jesus. And if we've not started this race, Lord, help us to come, recognizing that everything we might think is going to stand us in good stead before an awesome and holy and righteous God is worthless, but the work of Jesus for us is 
everything we need. Help us to come and put our hope and trust in him afresh. Or for the first time. We ask this in his name. Amen.